We're back in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, and if you've got a Bible in front of you in the pew, it's on page 927. Uh, you'll remember two weeks ago we, we hit this uh, chapter, and uh, therein we saw that uh, Paul was answering certain questions. Uh, you'll remember in 7.1 he said, Now for the matters that you wrote about. Here's topic two. Starting at verse 10. To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her husband, her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Well, friends, uh, we, we're dealing with uh, one of the most sensitive topics tonight. Obviously, marriage, divorce, brokenness, loss, a sense of sadness, and then the possibility of remarriage in the context of 1 Corinthians 7. Now, uh, 1 Corinthians 7 raises these issues for us, and uh, we saw when Matt spoke two weeks ago uh, that there were some people, some Christians, having become Christians, they were all non-Christians in Corinth, uh, when some people became Christians, they thought, oh, well, let's not have sex together anymore because that's not spiritual, right? And Paul said, no, 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 if you're married, you should have sex, right? Amongst other things. And then he goes on to the issue of marriage and divorce and separation. Friends, we've all been impacted by marriage breakdown and divorce. A woman escapes a violent husband. A man prefers the younger associate at work. People grow out of love, they say. They get frustrated with each other. They fight. They become distant. They don't really have a relationship. They just raise the kids. Kids get to 18, leave school, then they separate. Maybe some of you have been through that. A woman commits adultery. A man's addiction to pornography is too much for the wife to bear, and he's not willing to change. Couples who fail to have sex together, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, grow further and further apart emotionally until one person walks. The stress of family or financial pressures or an illness sometimes create pain and discontent. Sometimes the loss of a child, I've seen that, where they worked hard, a young child, four or five years of age, who passed away. And then the tension that brought within the family ultimately led to divorce. A midlife crisis. I don't know where midlife starts. I'm not there yet. People ask the question, I've seen that sadly, with couples that I've married in this church 
over the last 20 years, where they get to a point, they think, oh, I'm not quite sure I'm happy in life, I'm not sure I believe in God, I'm not, I'm not really you know, satisfied with my relationship. They rethink their life and they start again thinking they'll start with someone else. Friends, I remember an old friend uh, once, uh, he didn't know he had any marriage problems. <laughs> Came home one day, he found a note from his wife, that's it, saying, John, you're a wonderful man, lovely Christian man, you've done nothing wrong, just I don't want to be married to you. And she left. Broken man. Well, people worked together with me when I was at a previous church. Uh, husband and wife, great leaders, preachers, Bible study leaders. And then I went back to speak at an event once and I was looking around for them a few years later and I couldn't find them. They said, haven't you heard? They'd separated and gone their own ways, now both married to someone else. Some of you have been deserted by a husband or a wife and you've lived through the pain of separation and divorce. Some of you may have been the ones who left for maybe a good reason or maybe a not so good reason. Some of you were divorced before becoming Christians and you've had to sort of work through what does that mean now that you're a follower of Jesus. Some of you were or are the children of divorced parents. And some of you are still hurting because you wish your parents were together. And Mother's Day doesn't help. It raises some other issues for you as well. Or maybe you're really happy that your parents separated because you may have had an abusive person in the family. It was domestic violence and it was good that you separated from that person. But some of you may be fighting in court over access visits. Others take out AVOs on each other. And I've been to the courts with some of the people in those situations. So what is Paul addressing here? And we're going to look at a couple of different areas. And, and partly... If you're young, you think, oh, I don't know, I'm not married, what do I care? Listen carefully to what God says about marriage and what it is and what God, how God wants us to live because you'll get there one day. Firstly, uh, the Bible teaches that marriage is for life. Okay. As I said last week, Paul was dealing with a group of people in Corinth who wanted to renounce sex within marriage for spiritual reasons. But it seems also that there were people in Corinth who now wanted to renounce marriage for spiritual reasons. Right? They said, well, you know, I'm married, I'm, I've become a Christian now, my husband's not a Christian, I'll get rid of him. Right? And Paul is going to address that issue in a moment. But firstly, he sets the foundation, right? No separation, no divorce, he says. He echoes Christ's general principle, and we'll look at what Jesus has to say in a moment. To the married, I give this command. When he says, not I, but the Lord, he means the Lord Jesus has spoken specifically on this topic, and I'll take you there in the Gospels in a moment. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. In the first century, it was only husbands who had permission to divorce their spouses. Wives, I guess, could separate. The point is, sometimes there's a place for separation to get help and counsel and support. The ultimate goal is reconciliation, if at all possible. That's God's hope for two Christian people who are living together. But then when I said uh, Paul is really referring to what Jesus has taught, if you have a Bible, you might like to turn to Matthew 19. The verses will be up on the screen. Uh, the same question is asked in, in Mark's Gospel, the same account in Luke's Gospel and in Matthew's Gospel, where they ask Jesus about marriage and divorce. And it's really about men wanting to find out how they can get rid of their wives. Right? 
So let's look at this one, Matthew 19. Uh, because there's an exception there and people say, well, you know, can I divorce them for this reason or that reason or some other reason? When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to test him. Notice what's happening. There's going to be a test. Jesus, uh, what do you believe about this divorce issue? They asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Right? This is the argument. Is it for any and every reason? Can men just say, don't like you anymore? Go. Right? As in some religions, that is the case. And then later he says in verse 9, and when he says no, he says, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Because in the Old Testament, that could happen. Divorce could happen. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. The testing question is this, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? I'm going to take you to the Old Testament for a moment because... They're debating over what Deuteronomy chapter 24 means. And I'll put this up on the screen. There's a text, they go, well, what's the reason? It says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds, this is the expression, something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, and if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who has divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. You think, wow, what's all that about? <laughs> the point of this instruction in the Old Testament is to ensure that if someone for good reasons divorces, he gives the wife the best chance. To, he has a, she has a legitimate paperwork. Yes, I'm divorced. She can enter another marriage and then... There's not the temptation for this man to keep coming back and forward to his first wife. It protects the woman. But the debate in Jesus' days is this. What is this something indecent that gives you permission to divorce your wife? It was a hot issue in Jesus' days. And there were two rival rabbinical schools, two different pastor schools, right, for example. And someone argued this and someone argued that. And Matt argued this, Ange argued this, right? And it was Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel. Rabbi Shammai was a conservative. He took a rigorous approach. From Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, he said, no, no, the sole ground for divorce was some serious matrimonial offense or indecent act of unchastity. It's a big thing, right? It's not just for any reason. Rabbi Hillel, on the other hand, and many of the Jews liked him, he had a more lax position. It said... Uh, applied the mosaic provision to a man who desires to be divorced from his wife for any cause whatsoever. Right? One guy said, no, no, it must be a serious offence. The other guy said, oh, no, whatever. And for example, I've just uh, some of these examples. Serving her husband food accidentally burnt. Gone. <laughs> Spoiled her dinner by adding too much salt. Gone. If she was seen in public with her head uncovered. Definitely gone. If she talked with other men on the street, just talk. Or if she spoke disrespectfully to her husband's parents, had to behave with the in-laws, right? If she became plain looking, compared with another woman who seemed more beautiful in her husband's opinion, that was sufficient cause for divorce. 
You see, one group is saying, no, it's a serious offence, or others go, oh, no, any type of reasons, if you've grown and you've changed your mind, you, you like other things, you can get rid of her. Unbelievable, right? They're asking Jesus, which camp are you in? Is it a serious issue or any number of reasons? And Jesus says it was a temporary concession to human sin. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. It was not this way from the beginning. Temporary. That's not God's intention. Nor is it God's intention for Christians now living this side of the cross. It was a temporary concession. And he says in 1946, in the middle of that passage, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? Listen to that carefully as well in this modern age of same-sex marriage and so on. Listen carefully to the Bible's teaching right from the beginning of Genesis, right to the teaching of Jesus in Matthew. God created them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. The Pharisees were preoccupied for grounds for divorce. Jesus was more concerned with his institution of marriage. And what he tells us in Genesis is this. The text implies that marriage is exclusive, a man and his wife. It is publicly acknowledged they leave parents. It's permanent, united to his wife. And it's consummated by sexual intercourse, become one flesh. Exclusive, permanent, for life, don't separate, is what Jesus says. But then in Matthew 19, verse 9, you'll notice Jesus gives an exception. If you read the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus speaks about this, he doesn't give this exception. He says, no divorce, no separation, ever. Now, we're assuming that he understands in Mark and Luke's account that people understand that if sexual uh, unfaithfulness has taken place, that's sufficient cause. He gives us specifics here in Matthew's Gospel. Firstly, Matthew 5, 31 and 32. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness, and the Greek word is pornia, where we get the word pornography from, any sexual indiscretion, causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. They can only be, be an adulteress, commit adultery, because they're still married to the first person. Right? Unless sexual sin has taken place, he says. 19 verse 9, which is the context that we read earlier, I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness, pornia, and marries another commits adultery. How many reasons? No, Jesus says. It has to be a serious offence here that leads to divorce. Marital unfaithfulness means unchastity, some act of physical sexual immorality. And then, but though, if we now move back to 1 Corinthians 7, 10 to 11, uh, Paul doesn't make reference to, to Jesus' exception clause. Paul simply says, don't divorce, don't separate. Or if you separate, hang out together or wait until you're reconciled. Assuming Paul already knows the teaching of Jesus, it's just chosen not to mention it there. But I want you to notice the radical nature of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 19. When Jesus teaches this, the disciples go nuts. That's why you understand how serious this is. In, in a culture where you could get rid of your wife for any number of reasons, Jesus is saying, no, it's permanent, except for... The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. Oh man, if I'm going to have to stick with her the rest of my life, even though if I don't like her anymore... 
Oh, forget it, I'm going to stay single. Right? They're going off. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way, others were made that way by men, others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Disciples are stunned. Jesus is on the stricter side. But then, secondly, having dealt with verses 10 and 11 in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul gets to his main point here in 1 Corinthians. He addresses the problem of unbelieving partners. When your partner, your spouse, is not a Christian. So what has happened? The gospel goes to Corinth. They're all non-Christians. One person becomes a Christian. All of a sudden, you think, oh, what do I do with that non-Christian husband now? I'm spiritual now. I have the Spirit of God. If they were to read their Old Testaments, in the book of Ezra, they were asked to get rid of their non-Christian spouse, and they sent them all away. So if they're reading the Old Testaments, they think, well, I should get rid of my non-Christian husband. And Paul is addressing that issue. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord. By that, he means that the Lord Jesus did not give a specific word on this. But he, as an apostle, is giving uh, his wisdom here. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. That's okay, guys. Relax. You come to Christ, you're married, stay married. Don't get rid of your partner. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer, is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. The unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. As it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, the other option, because sometimes when you, I've seen it in couples, one, someone becomes a Christian and their husbands or wives are going, I don't want to marry you. You go to church all the time. You give your money to the poor and to the church. I didn't, marry, I didn't get married for this. And slowly they separate and they go their own ways. He's saying, if the unbeliever leaves, sometimes it happens, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. You can't do anything about it. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? What he does say is don't initiate divorce. So if you've become a Christian and you've got a non-Christian partner, keep loving them, keep serving them, keep honouring them. Keep doing work life together. And we've got people in this church where they become Christians. And uh, they keep loving the non-Christian husband. They keep praying for them, trying to bring them to church to hear about Jesus. That's what you ought to be doing. You don't get rid of them. But this is, if the, unbel- the unbelieving husband has been sanctified, this is uh, confusing language through his wife. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, as it is they are holy. I think, what in the world is he meaning here? Clearly, he says, lady, you might be able to save them. So they're not Christians. It seems to be saying that they are in a relationship with a Christian. They are in somewhat, what we say, a somewhat privileged position that God is offering grace to them and God's able to accept this marriage even though they're a non-Christian because of his grace. Don't get rid of them. God is still at work in this relationship. But divorce and remarriage is permitted if the unbeliever partner leaves. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? I want to ask people to put up their hands. 
wonder if you know people like that. Remember that Lee Strobel, the, uh, the Christian apologist, when his wife became a Christian, we've shared his story before, and he's written the book, The Case for Christ. Uh, he and his wife are both non-Christians. It's like this story. His wife gets converted. She starts going to church, starts helping out in the soup kitchen. And he's going, oh, I don't want to be married to someone like this. And all of a sudden, he researches Christianity. And he starts to find, and convinced by the evidence, he becomes a Christian himself. So they sort out that issue. But he said, I watched my wife. And was, I was tempted at the beginning to think, I don't want to be in this marriage. But she became a better person. She became a more loving person. She became even more attractive to me, having become a Christian. And that drew him to Christ and to her. But temptation was, I don't want to be in this. Let me move on from that. I'm just looking around to see who's married to who here. <laughs> Thirdly, and it does come out in this passage, it comes out at the end of 1 Corinthians 7, Christians should not be marrying non-Christians. Sometimes people will take the passage we just read, say, you can be married to a non-Christian, they're sanctified, God likes them. Hey, yeah, they're all, they're all good. No, that's the situation if one of you becomes a Christian when you're both already married. When you have a choice on who you will marry, that is the answer is given in chapter, chapter 7, verse 39 to 40. It gives her an example. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she, wash, she wishes. But what's the proviso? But he must belong to the Lord. That's the Old Testament principle. That's the New Testament principle. In my judgment, he says, she is happy if she stays as she is, stays single. Paul's always telling people to stay single. But I think that I too have the Spirit of God. But he must belong to the Lord. And that's why we encourage you, young people, if you start dating, date other people who love Jesus. People who have a common mind with you. Uh, because ultimately you want to marry someone who is a child of God, who loves and serves Jesus together with you, who has the Holy Spirit, not the spirit of darkness. You can build your lives on God's word. Your partner will partner with you in ministry and, and mission. That will help raise children to know and love Jesus. I always suggest it's a good idea when you start dating to think, is this person going to help me become more like Jesus rather than pull you away from Jesus? Finally, some practical issues. We can't solve all the problems in the world and uh, Christians debate on the best way to handle some of these. But the question is, I always ask, are there other circumstances beyond sexual unfaithfulness and desertion by an unbelieving partner where they just walk out that are equally so damaging to a relationship that marriage is already destroyed and divorce does nothing but acknowledge legally what has in fact occurred? The two key areas that that are addressed and they're important ones. Firstly, what happens if someone who says they're a Christian leaves you? Because 1 Corinthians 7 is talking about a non-Christian leaving a Christian. What happens if you're married and a Christian partner says, I love Jesus, but it's right, God has told him to leave you? What do you do with that? I've seen that happen. Complicated, isn't it? I have a case here a number of years ago. What I did do, if you want to know what I will do, if that happens... I'll go and approach them and challenge them. And what happens what happened in that situation, the person then refused to talk to me. Then the person left this church because we pulled them out of ministry leadership. I said, you cannot just divorce your Christian wife when you were a Christian and think we're just going to let you continue as normal. 
because it's against the scriptures. And the Bible allows for church discipline, and we'll come to that in a second. The other area is physical abuse, emotional abuse, prolonged alcohol or drug abuse, insanity, child abuse. Clearly, if, if, a, if a husband is a child abuser, you're not going to stay in that marriage, right? Just in case you misunderstand anything. We're going to get you out of that. We're going to get your children out of that situation for their safety and their protection. Because if they're behaving like that, it's evidence they don't know Jesus and they're a danger to you and to your family. But let me go back to the husband or the wife who professes to be a Christian and is an abuser. That comes up from time to time. I would call into question their salvation. I will uh, go to the police and help the wife make charges against that husband who claims to be a follower of Jesus. We would then call him, the Bible says in Matthew 18, 15 to 18, by the way, if that happens, that the person who's been sinned against confronts that person. If they're not willing to admit their sin, then they tell their two or three other people, then they tell the elders. Often people come to us as pastors, and we then have a conversation with them. If they're not willing to repent of their ungodly behavior, then the Bible says we then treat them as an unbeliever. We don't say, oh, just because they say, I'm a Christian, doesn't mean they're a Christian if they're acting in a way inconsistent with the words of Jesus. We cannot allow abuse to happen in God's church. And people say, oh, well, I'm a Christian. You may be a very lapsed one, but we're going to call you to repent and change. And we're going to protect your wife, your children in that situation. So the truth is, uh, abusers have, in effect, often deserted their partners, but they haven't deserted the house. You know, they live in some house and they're going, oh, I'm not leaving, it's my house. And sometimes you need to get the family out. In light of that, there's an important need through, for thorough biblical teaching about marriage and reconciliation, good marriage preparation, and marriage enrichment courses as well. So we need to keep learning and growing. Anyone who's been married for a few years, some of you have been married longer than I have. I've been married for almost 35 years. There are good days and not so good days. Tough days. But God has told me to keep fighting for my marriage, no matter what happens. To keep loving, to keep serving, to keep enduring. And likewise, my wife has been told to keep loving, keep serving. She has to put up with me, keep enduring, right? Because that's Christian marriage. It is a covenant for life to bring glory to God in the midst of that. Need for reconciliation services. They're good Christian counselors, psychologists who are able to assist people to, to work through their difficulties. I say, don't give up. Do everything you can to find a solution. A need for pastoral ministry to the divorced, one-on-one. -on -one. Some churches will offer courses like divorce care and other things. This is the place of forgiveness. Let me say, divorce is not an unforgivable sin. Christ's death covers all of our sins. When you repent of those, that decision you have made, and if you're married to someone else, you've got new kids, it's not like you can go back to the first partner. Right? But if you recognize down the track that you have sinned and you re repent and you ask God for forgiveness and ask him to help restore whatever you have broken, God forgives, God restores, and then God works in the new family moving forward. It's always difficult to speak on this topic. Let's come to the end. 
But I preached on this topic uh, out of Mark's Gospel and went to 1 Corinthians uh, in a morning congregation. A few more couples, uh, many have been through marriage breakups. And I'm sitting there thinking, some people, yeah, how will they take this? It's, it's often difficult to try to, to address it in a loving, gentle way. And uh, couples came to me afterwards. I was speaking on divorce, and they were, they were in a de facto relationship. She'd been through a marriage breakdown previously, uh, an abusive husband, and she sort of felt a bit guilty about getting married because she had made promises to God once, and she couldn't keep them because of this abusive husband. She felt like God would never forgive her. And having heard this sermon, almost the same one, said, Ange, thank you for that sermon on divorce. Can you marry us? It's amazing how God can use even a sermon on divorce to help people to start again and believe that God can forgive and God can restore, God can move forward with them. At the beginning, the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, said Jesus, let man not separate. Let me pray. Dear God, our loving Father, we know that we are followers of Jesus, but God, we know that uh, marriage is tough. Sometimes we don't love as we ought to love. Sometimes we don't listen as we ought to listen. Sometimes we don't care as we ought to care. And we suffer the effects of that in our marriages. Lord, teach us to care and love one another, to pursue harmony and reconciliation, to showcase the beauty of Christ to the world. And Lord, where we have been through divorces, those in this congregation tonight, and the pain of that, the sense of abandonment from someone that they make commitments to. Lord, bless them, encourage them, lift them up, I pray. Remind them that you are for them, not against them, that you can work in all circumstances for their good. For those, Lord, who have been remarried, starting again, Lord, bless their marriages, help them to honour you, to glorify you. Lord, I pray for our, our young people, our singles, at whatever age, they would pursue knowing you, loving you, and that you will put them into contact with other godly Christian people to build marriages centered on Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, living for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.